Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. As you're turning, I want to share greetings from uh, Brother Jim Price. I talked to him, I believe it was Monday or Tuesday uh, this week. They were in Manitoba, and uh, he wanted to ask me to greet the folks here. He also, uh, because they've been so busy and on the road, hadn't had a chance, but and I think he sent a letter as well, but he asked me to thank the church for the, uh, the Christmas gift uh, that we sent. Said it was a great blessing and a help. Be praying for uh, Brother Jim as they uh, continue travels and raising support. And I wanted to share that greeting with you. Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 4 through 10. I'm going to talk about four proofs of God's love. Four proofs. Now... There's a whole lot more than that. I was talking with Brother Colton uh, for a few moments this afternoon. We're talking about math. Uh, that's not a that's a weird Sunday afternoon discussion, mathematics. And we're talking about uh, calculus. That's an even weirder Sunday afternoon. Amen, Brother Maud. That's a weird afternoon discussion. And I was explaining a couple things and talking about proofs. And uh, I hated proofs. I hate proving anything in mathematics because when I did math, my brain isn't wired like everybody else's brain. Your brain works and my brain doesn't work. And uh, my circuits are wired all different. And uh, I can find the answer, but I don't follow the same path you, found, you followed to get it. And uh, I used to go back and forth with my math teacher over some of my proofs. Uh, and I would say, look, is my answer right or not? Yes, but you couldn't have got the answer the way you did it. I said, look, did I get the answer right or not? And we would go back and forth, and I, I probably should have been a little more uh, submissive to her. But uh, I, I didn't like showing proofs. God likes to show proofs. And by the way, he proves every day his love for you. His mercy is new every morning. Amen. Every morning when you see the sun come up, teenagers... Did you know that that thing, the, the, the bright thing up in the sky, it actually disappears at night and it comes back up early in the morning? Uh, it's not always in the sky, but when it comes up every morning, uh, it's a reminder that he rose from the dead, a reminder of his love for us. And we, we could look at hundreds and thousands of proofs tonight, but I just in this one little passage in Ephesians chapter 2, I want to take a few moments uh, just to enjoy uh, some time together in his word, uh, just to relish in what God's done. Uh, just to praise him, just to worship him tonight. Look with me here, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, for with he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Let's pray together. Lord, my heart tonight, my desire is that we would worship you and glorify you this evening. Lord, you're worthy of our praise. Lord, we get a few glimpses into heaven you've given us in your word. 
Lord, John would have written much more if you would have allowed him, but the few glimpses that you allowed John to give us, Lord, it seems every time I see through the windows of heaven, I see worship and I see praise. And Lord, tonight I pray as you taught the disciples to pray, would you make it a little bit like heaven on earth tonight? God, would you help us to worship you a little bit tonight the way we will worship you forever in heaven. Lord, someday we will bow before the throne and cry out with the angels and cry out with the saints of God, worthy is the Lamb. But Lord, tonight you're already worthy. Lord, thank you for your great love for us. Help us tonight, Lord, to direct our worship and our praise to you as we look at these proofs of your love for us. Help me, Lord, to preach you right your truth. God, may you be glorified. In your precious name we pray. Amen. What would God have to do to prove his love for you? What would it take for us to say, I know, I know without a doubt that God loves me. And Would it take more money? Would it take better health? Would it take greater happiness in your life? More comfort? A better job? A bigger house? A newer car? What would it take? March 31st, 1995, I think it was. I think that's right, maybe 94. My wife will correct me later. That was my birthday. By the way, there's just a few shopping days left to my birthday. Be aware of that. <laughs> but my wife and I had been dating. We had our first date December 7th, maybe, or 8th. And then this is March 31st. It was a little over three and a half months later. I met her that day as I was going out to go to work. And she gave me a cupcake. It was a Otis Spunkmeyer, I think. Uh, chocolate, double chocolate, I think. Chocolate chip, chocolate cupcake. She had a candle on it. Uh, you know, she couldn't bake a cake in her room, so she bought a cupcake. And did you give me something else that day? I don't remember. I don't think so. She's a cheapskate. And uh, she gave me that cupcake <laughs> and as a birthday gift. And that day... As I was driving to work, as I got in my 1977 Ford Granada piece of garbage, and as I was going to work, me and my buddies, I looked over at the fellow who was my best friend in Bible college. His name's Jeremy. I talked to him just a couple weeks ago. It was his, it was his birthday, actually, a couple weeks ago. I looked over at him, and I said, Jeremy, I'm going to marry Carrie. I'm going to... I'm going to ask her to marry me at Christmas, and we're going to get married next summer. And he said, does she know this? I said, no, but I'm going to tell her. Now, when my wife heard that story later, she decided it must have been the cupcake. So, so girls, that's the secret. you got to give the cupcakes. But the cupcake had nothing to do with it. Too many times, all the little things that we think we want from God, they have nothing to do with God's love. 
But I want us to look tonight at some things that do have everything to do with the love of God. Everything God does, everything God does, he does for a specific purpose. He, he does nothing without cause. He does nothing without purpose. His efforts to mankind are always, if we look in the, the account of creation in Genesis, all the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament, we see that God is always dealing with man to show man his love. Always. He, he, he loves us. He, he does nothing by chance. God does nothing in desperation. There's a wonderful old song, and part of that song goes, of you know, God searched through heaven looking for... God didn't search through heaven. I, I, I like the song. I, I understand the premise. Salvation was not a desperation move. God didn't have to scramble and back in the, the back. Oh, no, man, what am I going to do now? Man, sin. Where do I throw the ball? No, it was planned from eternity. It always was. God knew. So everything God does and everything God has ever done is for because he loves man. God never throws anybody away. For a little over a year now, God's put a burden on my heart. I'm going to have to do something about it pretty soon, but God's burdened me to, to do something that is pretty outside my normal wheelhouse. But I'm, I guess the Lord's going to, I'm either going to do it or God's going to kill me probably God's burdened me to write a book with that premise of don't throw them away we live in a culture today Christian culture where we give the gospel out and we try to reach people and so many churches if that person we reach is not the instant Christian that we think they ought to be if they don't look the way we think they ought to look and talk the way we think they ought to talk and do everything exactly the way we think they ought to in a couple of weeks, we want to toss them away and get started again. God doesn't do that. I love the story in the book of Jeremiah. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah went down to the potter's house and he looked through the window and watched the potter as he worked at the wheel and he watched as the potter broke the vessel. But he didn't throw the clay away. He simply started again. Christian, we need to understand the love of God, that God doesn't throw you away. He doesn't throw me away. He desires to use us and to mold us and to make us. Now, does that mean that we're, I'm going to be able to do everything God has wanted me to do? There are times that because of some brokenness that I can't be all that God had wanted would want for me but that doesn't mean God throws me away I love the picture there of Jeremiah as he looks in the potter's house we look at God's love so often through what happens to us daily we look at it as wow something good happened today God loves me 
Oh, man, today was a bad day. Brother Maude fell on the stairs. Boy, it's a bad day. God must not love me. I'm a little worried. My enemy is now attacking you. We have the same enemy, the stairs. We look at, oh, this is good. Okay, I have a good day. This is bad. I've got a good day. Most of you probably know this. My family knows this for sure. If anyone asks me how I'm doing, what do I say, Rebecca? How are you? I say, I'm beautiful. Exactly. No, I'm not beautiful. But I've learned not to gauge how I'm doing according to what's happening in my life. God loves me. When I fall down the stairs, he still loves me. When I, when I disobey him, he still loves me. We look for God's love in the things that happen to us. And we say, God, why are you doing that? We question God. God answers back many times, I believe. Not audibly, but he answers back because I love you. Because I love you. I want to take just a few moments tonight, and I, I don't think I'll be lengthy this evening, but I want to share four thoughts, four proofs of God's love, and then I want to shift gears just a little bit for just a couple very small points into the message. Number one, we find this proof in our text. We're going to be looking just in Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. Would you look there with me? Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, for with he loved us even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace. Are you saved? Proof number one, he quickened me. He quickened me. He made me alive. When I met Brother Bonnie ten and a half years ago, is that right? Brother Bonnie was a dead man walking. He was dead. He was lost. He grew up with a religious past, but he was lost. He believed the Bible, but he was lost. He believed who Jesus was, but he was lost. But just a little over 10 years ago, God took a dead man and he made him alive. Your testimony tonight, Christian, if you are born again, child of God, is you were dead. You were dead in trespasses and sins. But he quickens you. When I was in grade 7, I came home from school one day. I walked down the hallway of our home, down the hallway past the bathroom, past the laundry in the hallway, and in my room was on the left, my sister's room, my room. I walked out of my room. When I walked out of my room to go back down the hallway, I looked, and there in the middle of the hallway was a tennis ball. Now I'm a hillbilly. I guarantee you there was no tennis racket, brother, within 100 miles of my house. There was not a tennis ball there because I played tennis. There was a tennis ball on my floor because I had a dog, Boston Terrier. And I looked down the hallway, through the living room, into the kitchen, and laying in the kitchen floor was my dog, stone cold asleep. How many have ever heard a Boston Terrier snore? They sound worse than Pastor Rice snoring, and I'm pretty bad. He was snoring. He was out of it. And in my little juvenile 
12-year-old brain. I hatched a plan. I thought, how cool would it be to line up that tennis ball, kick the tennis ball down the hallway, hit the dog, wake him up. I mean, that's, that sounds fun, doesn't it? So that's my plan. So no shoes on in the house. You know, I ran back to kick the tennis ball, and I kicked it about three inches before you got to the tennis ball on the ground. My big toe snapped in half. The bone broke, and the bone went through the toenail. Blood began to forcefully... Colton, you having, you having trouble yet? I know it's... He's, a, he's very visionary when he hears. Blood is spraying, and I began to scream. My loving mother, she's probably watching still, uh, she yelled at me to be quiet. She might have even said a, a real foul word like, shut up. I don't know what she said, but she's, what's wrong with you? Be quiet. What are you screaming about? My dad was on the roof of our house. He was working on fixing the roof on the back porch. My dad heard my scream through the roof. And he knew something was horribly wrong. My dad jumped off the roof. I don't mean he took the ladder. He jumped off the roof, came in the house, came in, and there I am. Blood squirting. They took me to the hospital. They had to kind of almost kind of set my toe a bit. And they had to cut the rest of the toenail off. And then they had to stitch because the bone went through the toe. They had to stitch the quick, what we call the, the meat underneath the nail. They had to put stitches across that. Now, there's a reason they call that quick. There, there's no doubt. There's some feeling there. And I remember that my dad holding me down, the nurses holding me down, and that was just to get the needle near me, Brother Maud. I hate needles. And they're stitching that quick. It's very much alive. You and I were dead, in Christ, dead without Christ. But he made us very much alive. How do I know God loves me? A lot of reasons, but I can look here in this passage and tell you tonight that God loves me because he quickened me. He made me alive. He gave me spiritual life. He's quickened us in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. Letter E there, he quickened us in Christ Jesus. It's an expression of his mercy and his love towards us. In verse 4, we were dead in sins. In verse 5, we were hell bound. Ephesians 2, 1 says, and you. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. We've been made alive. I like the way Matthew Henry says it. Matthew Henry, uh, commentator of years gone by. Matthew Henry said, grace is the soul. Grace in the soul is a new life in the soul. As death locks up the senses, seals up all the powers and faculties, so does the state of sin. As to anything that is good, grace unlocks and opens all and enlarges the soul. Observe, a regenerate sinner becomes a living soul. Praise God for that. 
He lives a life of sanctification, being born of God. He lives in the sense of the law, being delivered from the guilt of sin by pardoning and justifying grace. He hath quickened us together with Christ. Our spiritual life, Mr. Henry said, our spiritual life results from our union with Christ. It is in Him that we live. As Jesus said, because I live, He shall live also. How do I know He loves me? From this passage, because He made me alive. He gave you life. He gave you spiritual life. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. How can we question the love of God? When He said, I love you this much. Oh, I wanted more, God. He gave you everything. He gave everything that you and I might be alive. That we might have life eternal. Greater love hath no man than this, the Bible says in John 15. That a man lay down his life for his friends. Romans 5, 8, but God, and I love this verse, probably one of my top Ten favorite verses in the Bible. But God committeth his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not while I was getting better. Not once I became spiritual. Not once I cleaned up my life. But while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for us. I didn't have to improve myself. Matter of fact, it wouldn't have made a difference if I did. I didn't have to prove to him I was lovable. Why? I'm not lovable. He decided to love me. He loved me as I was. He died for the ungodly. By the way, he died for those that we wouldn't die for. When you think of the, the most evil and vile people in our world and in the past, we think of people like Timothy McVeigh. Became popular this last year. And uh, pop culture. Can I tell you that as wicked and vile as the crimes that Mr. McVeigh committed. He, I'm sorry, Mr. Dahmer and Mr. Mr. McVeigh bombing the tower. Uh, Mr. Dahmer, who I was thinking of, who killed and ate people and stored body parts, as wicked as all that was. God said, I, I'm, I want to make available to him salvation. Had he trusted Christ? Charles Manson. The vilest person you can think of in the world that we go, oh, that, pff, that's wicked. You know what God says? I love them. I love them. He wants to make them whole. He wants to quicken them. We live in a system that knows nothing of love. We know a perverted understanding of love. But I want to assure you tonight that God loves you. And he doesn't love you because he wants to get something from you. He doesn't love you because he, he's, he's trying to uh, earn something. He just loves you. And his love isn't temporary, it's everlasting. It's forever and forever and forever and forever. How many of you have ever eaten something that you love so much, you ate so much of it, it made you sick and you didn't want to eat it again? You ever been there? What was it, Josh? My food? <laughs> well, as a boy, I, I like sauerkraut. How many of you like sauerkraut? We made sauerkraut when I was a boy. I like sauerkraut. 
I think sauerkraut's awesome, Brother Mike. It's good stuff. I still like it. But as a young boy, about nine years old, I decided to eat a whole jar of sauerkraut. And I ate a whole jar of sauerkraut. I should have good gut bacteria the rest of my life, Brother Krim. I was sick. I was real sick. I mean sick, sick, sick. I didn't want to eat sauerkraut for a long time. God never gets sick of you. He loves us with an everlasting love. For John 4, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, dwelleth God dwelleth with him, and he and God. And we know and believe the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. God's proven his love through the Son, Jesus Christ. Number two. The number two proof we find here in this passage quickly tonight. Which we find in verse 6. And he hath raised us up together and made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Proof number two tonight. He raised me up. He raised me up. He raised you up. You know, remember when Jesus Christ was nailed to that cross, all of my sin, all of your guilt and my guilt and your sin and my sin was placed on Him. All of it. I don't believe for one second that Jesus made a limited atonement. Those that would try to pervert the gospel to say that Jesus only died for a certain portion of sin. Can I tell you that if that were true, then Jesus Christ is a liar. And we ought to burn this book. Because he said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If the Bible doesn't mean that, if, if it doesn't mean everybody, if there's someone who, no, he didn't die for your sin, he died for yours and not for yours, then God's a liar. And he's a charlatan, and he can't be trusted. Rather, he died for all. He bore all sin, every bit of it, all of sin. It was, it was on him on the cross. It was, hold on, when he came off of that cross, was buried with him, was buried with him. I remember, I believe it was my grandmother's funeral, my dad's mom that I preached back in 90, it was 98. My wife and I have been married a few years. I think my memory's right. I remember at the funeral, my, my cousins, I remember them all taking a note and folding that note up, placing that note in the casket. To be buried with her. Can I tell you when Jesus was placed in that tomb. Your sin was placed there with him. The sin that he bore on Calvary. He took to the tomb. So pastor what's the big deal about that? What's the big deal about Jesus. Taking my sin to the tomb. Because he didn't stay there. He rose again. He, 
he rose again, meaning that sin was put ever behind him. In the book of Psalm chapter 103, verse 8, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dwelt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are but dust. Look at verse 6 again in our text. It says, And hath raised us up together, and made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice that phrase, hath raised us up together. Can I tell you those that know the English language better than I do will tell you that that phrase there uh, is something that is past tense. Not he's going to, but he already did. He hath raised us up. So preacher, when did that happen? When did he raise me up? Three days and three nights after they placed the body of our lovely Lord on the ground, when he rose again, you were raised with him. I was raised with him. He was raised incorruptible. Guess what, Christian? I was raised incorruptible in him. I know he loves me. I see the proof of his love. He, he quickened me. He made me alive. He raised me up with him. If you will, I was nailed to that cross with him. I was buried with him. I was risen with him. He brought within the redemption our new creation. I'm not just saved from hell. And I praise God I'm saved from hell. I'm glad I'm not going to hell. But can I tell you, can I tell you tonight that salvation is not just fire insurance from hell? I, I'm glad that I, there's no chance that I can go to hell. I had, I had two people yesterday tell me to go to hell. Brother Mud, I had one person tell me to do things that were physically impossible. I had, had some very rude people yesterday. But two different people told me to go to hell yesterday. That was their words. Now, I didn't say it. I, 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 here's what I said. I said, God bless you. <laughs> that was my answer as I was trying to get my gospel track. But what I wanted to say was I couldn't go to hell if I wanted to. Amen. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry you want me to go there, but I can't go. I, I have, I'm saved from hell, but I am saved to heaven. I am raised up. And Christian, let's not forget what we have. Let's worship him. Let's praise him for what he's done as we see his love. I'm made alive. I am risen with him. What a wonderful thing. He's forgiven me. He's pardoned me. He's regenerated me. He's adopted me. He's cleansed me. He's given me a home in heaven. He, he's with me. He's never leave me, never forsake me. And one day he's going to come back and say, Hey, come up here. And I'm going. How wonderful. I'm risen with him. All of this is done in Christ Jesus. So here's the question. Why do we live like we're part of this world? Why do we live like the people of earth? When Carrie was giving birth to Rebecca, it was a very 
very traumatic experience. It was very difficult. It was very dangerous few moments. The doctor came, tried one last procedure, and she told me, she said, Mr. Rice, if this doesn't work right here, right now, on this bed in this room, I am doing emergency cesarean section. It was some tense moments. I, I deal with tense moments with humor. Maybe you've understood that about me. But our doctor, she walked in and she had this, you'd almost thought COVID was in the air. She had a mask on. She had this plastic shield on. She had rubber gloves on. She had her hands up like this. And she was a, I can't remember what nationality she was, maybe East Indian, I think, lady, little lady. She came in and she looked like some kind of alien creature because of all the stuff she had on. And she walked in like this. And uh, quietly to the two nurses that were with me, I said, take me to your leader. Uh, they thought it was funny. She didn't think it was funny at all. Uh, Rebecca thought it was funny. She was laughing in the womb, but they didn't think it was funny. <laughs> Carrie was punching me. But Now, we joke about, you know, oh, not of this world, you know, something extraterrestrial. I think they've been shooting down on UFOs here the last couple weeks. Anyway, you and I, we're not of this world. We are not terrestrial. We are extraterrestrial. We belong to heaven. I've already been raised up in him. There's no reason for me to live like I belong. I, I, I've been made an heir of God, joint heirs with Christ. Eternity is my time frame. So many things we could go into tonight, but we see the love of God in him raising us up. Number three here in our text. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 2. Then in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Number 3 tonight, we see here that he shows grace. He shows kindness. Now, if... I'll let Brother Eric be God tonight. His wife would never hear the end of it if he got to be God. But if Brother Eric were God, and somebody came up and smacked him in the face, I mean just pop! Brother Eric's a mild-mannered, genteel gentleman. But I have a feeling if you pop Brother Eric in the face one too many times, he's not going to show grace and kindness. There's going to be a point, like, like Popeye. How many of you remember Popeye? Uh, but Mark, you said your dad said Popeye was your favorite. That was my favorite cartoon as a kid. Popeye's chicken. <laughs> That's my favorite chicken now. But Popeye was my favorite cartoon as a kid. And Popeye had the phrase... I've stood all I could stand, and I can't stand no more. And he'd be pushed just to the edge until finally he was ready to fight. Let's just be real honest. If you were God and you had to deal with you, there would come a point. The point would have come a long time ago where I would have said, Brian Rice, you're done. And yet God shows me grace. He shows me kindness. Amen. What is grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. 
Grace, getting something good I do not deserve. Kindness, why? Not because of who you are, but because of who he is. How wonderful here. He might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Not just here. Here's a little bit of grace. The exceeding riches of his grace and kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Here we see his love for the present and all for the future. It's not I want to give you something now, but not later. He wants to give us all throughout our relationship with him and through all eternity grace, kindness. God shows his love every day. Every day. It is of his mercies that we are not consumed. Mr. Edwards, Jonathan Edwards, that preached during the Great Awakening. Mr. Edwards, who typed out or wrote down, not typed, he, he wrote down his messages. He was very poor of seeing. He would write his messages out word for word. He was not an orator. He was not a great public speaker. He would write out word for word his message. And it's said of Mr. Edwards that he would bend his head where he was face to face, probably, probably have macular degeneration, some sort of vision problem, as he would get very close to his notes and he would read them. It's said in a monotone voice, Brother Mott. It wasn't about the preaching of Jonathan Edwards. It was about the Holy Spirit of God that led Mr. Edwards to preach the Holy Book of God. Amen. And as Mr. Edwards would preach his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, people, not at the invitation, during the service, sinners would crawl on their hands and knees to the altar, begging God to save them. But in his message, he said that we are as a sinner, we are but held by the very spider thread above the very pit of hell. At any moment, could be plunged headlong. Can I tell you, that's where I was. But that's not where I am. Now I have His grace. Now I have His kindness. How wonderful that is. How wonderful that we have the proof of his love. By the way, that grace and kindness speaks of safety. Speaks of assurance. I've been in some dangerous places. I've been in some places that were very, very dangerous. I joke with people once in a while, some of the worst parts of Edmonton. I've been in playgrounds that were more dangerous than Edmonton. I, I've, I've been in some scary situations. I've been in some dangerous situations. But those times I've been in dangerous situations, it was because and while I was sharing the gospel. And I'll be real honest with you, there's never been a time when I've been in a dangerous place sharing the gospel when I've been fearful. Probably because I'm just a, a dummy. But I, I just knew I'm supposed to be here. <laughs> The Lord knows. If he wants me here, then I'm supposed to be here. I remember going in a building, and as I went to go in the building, the police in the police station at the bottom of the building looked at me and said, don't go in here. If you go in that elevator and you do not come back, Chicago police, they told me, we will not come look for you. 
We don't care what happens to you after you go in that door. We're not coming up there. Just so you know, you're on your own. That's not good. Why? Because I like dangerous situations? No, because I needed to share the gospel in that building. Can I tell you that God's grace and kindness are enough? Does that mean that I'm always going to be safe? No. But it means I'll always be where God wants me to be. I'll always be in his will as long as I trust him. By the way, Peter, when he was crucified upside down, he was in God's hand. So, but pastor, hold on a minute. That's pretty dangerous. That, that's not a good thing. He glorified God even in death. We get so hung up on our perceived safety and our perceived enjoyment of life that we forget that it's about God's glory, God's blessing. We see his kindness. We see his grace. The Bible says in Jude, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. By the way, let me, let me stop here just a moment. This isn't the message. But just in case there's anybody here that's struggling with this understanding of eternal security, if you think that you can lose your salvation, then you think God is not able. The Bible tells us right here he's able. Now, what does it say about God if he's able to keep you and he doesn't? Either he's a liar or he's evil. True? One of those things has to be true. So for me to believe, I'd have to throw away so many doctrines, but for me to believe that I could lose my salvation, I've got to either accept that God is evil or God is a liar. That's it. There, there, there's, you can't rectify it any other way. He's able. He's able to keep me from falling, to present me faultless before the presence of glory with exceeding joy. Jude 25, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Number four, lastly tonight, verse number 10 in our text, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto Good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Number four tonight as we see the next proof of God's love for us. He created you. Not only did he create you, but he created you for good works. Good works. For good works. I, I, I love this thought. And number one, we're his workmanship. We're his workmanship. I haven't for years, but years ago I used to build, I used to do some bowyering. How many of you know what bowyering is? Brother Darren's done some bowyering. Uh, I, I used to build longbows. And I several years ago now, probably 16, 17, 18, 19, maybe 19 years ago, I decided to build one for my dad. 
and I didn't use fiberglass. I used God's fiberglass. How many of you know what God's fiberglass is? Bamboo. And I, I did a tri-lamb bow, and I built it out of the front of the bow, the side when you pull the bow, the side people see facing away from you was raw bamboo. And then two other laminations glued together in a coal and a form. And uh, after I glued it into the shape I wanted, then I, I cut it down to shape and profiled and sanded. And I finished that bow. I created it. I crafted it. I wrote, I think, on the top bottom limb or top limb, I can't remember, facing the person holding the bow, Two letters inside of quotation marks. A P and an A. How many of you know what that stands for? Paul. That's what I call my dad most of the time. I call him Paul. One time we were out soul winning together 20 years ago in a church van in West Virginia. And I said something. I called my dad Paul. And as I got out, one of the men said, Marcus, I... Is your first name Paul? I always thought your first name was Marcus. Uh, but I wrote Paul on that bow. I, I created it. It was crafted by me. It was a gift I gave to my dad. Now, most likely that bow will never be worth millions of dollars uh, because I'm not a sought-after bowyer. I'm not a well-known crafter of bows. Because I made it has no intrinsic value to anyone else except my dad. However, there are some things in this world that are much more valuable because who made them? Many years ago, I was sent a gift from a man that I never, I've still never met. A man that I had helped with something I met online and he decided to send me a gift. He was driving through the area where I grew up, and general area, probably within 10 miles as the crow flies across the river from where my family live. And he stopped in a little country store, little everything store, gas station. Uh, as Lois knows what I'm talking about, little general store of everything. They don't exist much up here, but little place, probably half the size of this building inside. And just a little bit of everything, you go in, you can get a few things, and that's it. In the back of the building, there was a, a little wood-burning stove, a little pot-belly stove, and some chairs where you go and sit and play checkers, that kind of place down south. Most of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But anyway, they, there in that area near the wood-burning stove and the checkers, there was an old tub. I think it was an old uh, bin of some kind, maybe a vegetable bin, maybe an old barrel, actually, come to think of it, he told me, but there's a bunch of just old things in there, and there was an old knife, an old hunting knife, and this guy saw that old hunting knife in this little general store in this little town near where he knew that I was from that area, and he thought, I want to do something nice to pay him back. He paid a few bucks, maybe 20, 30, maybe 50 bucks, I don't remember, he bought this old knife. It was in a ratty sheath that was falling apart. The knife was pitted and old. And he sent it to me as a gift, and I, I was overwhelmed. That's really neat. That's really awesome, really cool old knife. And thanks to the wonders of the Internet and the interwebs, I began to look, and there was a name on the knife. The name was Morseth. 
I began to Google Mr. Morseth. I began to look for the knives that he created that looked like that. And I began to learn something that caused me to message that man and say, Sir, I cannot accept this gift. I, I need to mail it back to you. I realized that that knife, although it was rough and although it was a little ugly and although the sheath was falling apart, it was very valuable. Not because of its condition. It was very valuable because who made it. And I told the man, I said, sir, I'm sending this back to you. I said, I can't accept this gift. It's worth a lot of money. And he said, if you mail it back to me, I'm going to send it back up. He said, I bought it for you. I only paid whatever it was for it. He said, it's yours. And I told him, I said, sir, I'm not going to sell it. I said, I'll keep it uh, as a reminder of your love and you know, appreciation, the gift he sent me. Several years later, a friend who's a custom knife maker stole it from my house and made it look brand new again, and his wife made a custom sheath for it. That didn't add value to the knife, but the value, as far as the world's concerned for that knife, is because of the man, the famous man that made it. That's its value. Christian, can I tell you your value? You were created by him. The master. The master made you. The creator of all things. I have his love because he signed me. His signature. He made me. He made you in his image. I was made by God. I was his workmanship. I've been created in Christ Jesus. And notice the phraseology here in Ephesians 2. Unto good works. Created, by the way, means you didn't just happen. It was purposed. It was planned. I was created in Christ for a specific purpose. I need to find out what that is. Ephesians 4.11 in our text, or just a few verses away, a couple chapters away, says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. God has something for you. He made you. Your worth is because of him, not because of you. These good works we have mentioned here have been preordained or foreordained by God. Titus chapter 3 and verse 8 says, this is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. I want to make a statement. If you have a pen, I encourage you to write it down. I believe a, a powerful statement about this truth. Notice in our text here, we were created, Christian, you and I were created to walk in these good works. Don't miss that. You and I were created to walk in these good works. So, listen to this statement. They await your doing. God created you to walk in those works. 
Can I tell you that they're waiting on you? They await you to do them. They await me to do them. By the way, when I do obey the Lord Jesus Christ, when I follow Him, when I honor Him in my life, I am realizing every step, every work, everything I do is a reminder, God loves me. God loves me. I've got a dear friend who got saved out of serious alcoholism and drunkenness and drugs and horrible, horrible life. Him and his wife, before they got saved, they used to get high on drugs and get angry at each other and shoot at each other with pistols in the house. And I don't mean they were pretending. I mean, they were trying to kill each other. But they would get so high on drugs that amazingly God spared them. They didn't. Several times they tried to kill each other. Somewhere tonight, Brother Hicks is standing behind the pulpit like this, preaching the word of God as an evangelist in the southern U.S. Every time he opens the Bible, lays on the pulpit it's a reminder he used to be laying down lines of cocaine he used to be laying down empty beer bottle after empty beer bottle he used to be picking up the pistol and trying to kill his dear wife but praise the Lord God created him and ordained him to walk in good works it's a reminder Christian I give that example because it's easy for you to see and, and see the difference. But I hope tonight you understand that the difference is in you as well. Amen. It's in you as well. So, Pastor, I, I was never a drunkard. I, I was never a drug addict. I never tried to kill my wife. Well, maybe I tried to kill my wife. But I, I, I didn't do those things. Remember, you were dead in trespasses and sins. He made you alive. He didn't just make you alive to make you a scarecrow to do nothing. God made you alive unto good works. And they're waiting for you to do them. Just a couple of thoughts as we close here tonight. How do we walk in good works? How do we walk in good works? Very, very quickly. By showing gratitude for redemption. By showing gratitude for redemption. Giving him praise for what he's done for us. For dying on the cross. Forgiving our sin. Placing us in the heavenlies. What if you were unsaved on your way to hell tonight? That's where you'd be without Jesus Christ. How do we walk in good works? By showing gratitude for redemption. Next, number two. By surrendering to sanctification. By surrendering to sanctification. I shared the story of my big toe breaking in half. They had to stitch it up. I didn't want them to stitch it up. I didn't want to surrender to have it stitched up. My dad and a bunch of nurses had to hold me down so they could stick needles in me, and then they could sew me up. But it needed to be done. It had to be done. You and I need to surrender to letting God set us apart and sanctify us for his purpose.
to the growth process. First Peter or Second Peter chapter one verse five. I'm not going to turn there tonight, but virtue, on knowledge, on temperance, on patience, on godliness, on brotherly kindness, on love. We need to surrender to that process. Number three, how do we walk in good works? I'm going to close with this thought tonight. By serving. By serving in all areas of good works. What is it God wants you to do? Not what is it God wants the pastor to do. Not what is it God wants your spouse to do or your your child to do or, or Brother Colton to do. What's God want you to do? Hey, teenager, what's God want you to do? Oh, I'm just a teenager. <coughs> David, a teenager, walked down in the valley of Elam and said, you will not defy my God. He affected his whole country. His whole country. Young married couple, what's God want you to do? Older couple here tonight, maybe your kids are grown. What's God want you to do? What is it God wants you to do? Has he set something aside that he said, okay, I've got some works for you to do. At least once a week, sometimes a couple times a week, Colton and I will sit in my office, our office now, And I'll say to Colton, hey, here's some things I want you to do this week. He'll pull out a notebook. Okay. I'd like to get this, 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 and this done. Here you go. Now, I may ask him, hey, did we get that done? Is that, but that's not my work. That's his work. I believe God has work for you. He has good works for us. He's got them set aside. He created you unto good works. When God calls, just like little Samuel, the day's gone by. Won't you answer? What do you want, Lord? Okay. You know why you don't want to answer? Because you don't want to do what God wants you to do. I know. You know why? Because I don't always want to do what God wants me to do. How do we walk in good works? By serving in every area. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity tonight to walk in the works that you've prepared for us. Lord, we could spend so long talking about the proofs of love that you have for us. Lord, I praise you. I thank you. I want to worship you tonight for your goodness and your love. As well, Lord, tonight, I want us to walk in those works you have for us. Lord, I believe with all my heart tonight that you have prepared some works for every one of us. And, Lord, a lot of them don't get done. Because you prepared them for us, for no one else. God, would you help us to be surrendered tonight? Help us to walk in them. Help us to surrender to sanctification. Help us to praise you for our redemption. God, may we walk in that love.
that you've proven over and over and over again in scriptures. Lord, would you be glorified tonight during this time of invitation as we set aside some time just to worship you, to praise you, to yield to your purpose. May that be the case. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Remember Colton. Let's sing together. 301. Only trust him. Number 301. you're so good to us Lord we offer our praise and our worship to you for you're worthy of it Lord may we do more than sing your praises may we do more than lift up your name in this place with our brothers and sisters in Christ but may we publish your name among the heathen may we speak of your goodness every day may we be reminded of your love as we tell others of it. And God, may we find those works that you have for us. May we pick it up on our shoulder. And may we walk in that path and that plan that you have made just for us. How wonderful that purpose, that fulfillment. Bless us now, Lord. In your precious name we pray. Amen. I just have nothing to add to it. By the way, we add nothing to it by our remembering him tonight. We add nothing to it by our service. We add nothing to it uh, by our work for him or living a righteous life. There's nothing we add because it's finished. And tonight, because it's finished, we want to pause to remember uh, what it was that finished it all, and it was Calvary. Jesus, we won't ask you to turn there tonight, but in the book of Matthew, Jesus would get his disciples and gather them in an upper room. And there that night, they would eat the Passover meal. And during that evening, 
our Lord would institute another supper. The Lord's Supper is not the Passover meal. It's not the Christian Passover. It was a new meal, a new institution that our Lord set up that night as he took bread, unleavened bread, as he took the juice, the unfermented fruit of the vine, and he said to them, this is my body of, his, of the bread, which is broken for you. By the way, he had not yet gone to Calvary. He had not yet suffered. But understand that he knew every ounce of suffering he would face. He had known from creation and before creation began every bit of suffering that he would go through. As he held the bread up and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. He then said to them that night in that upper room that about the Jews, he said, this is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Those men knew the Old Testament. They knew the covenant that God had made with their ancestral great-great-great-great-great-grandfather Abraham. They knew the covenant that God had made with his people. And that night Jesus said to those men around that table, this cup is the New Testament. It was a new covenant, a new testament that he would begin as he shed his blood not many hours later on Calvary's tree. That evening, those men would partake of that supper. And Jesus would tell them to remember him. To remember his death. We look in our Bibles, if you want to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we have a reminder of God's plan and God's pattern for a local church in remembering and commemorating what our Lord did. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we know that the church at Corinth was a troubled church. It was a carnal church. It was a church full of people that had problems, very much like us today. And just like we sometimes do, the church at Corinth had got off course. And they had perverted some things and got some things wrong and got kind of out of bounds. And this passage here in 1 Corinthians was God's way of reminding this church and all churches that would follow how we are to remember. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in verse 23, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. 
For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, and we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, where ye come together to eat, tarry one for the other. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together in a condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Lord, thank you for this very precious time that we can spend together. Lord, as we gather as a body of believers tonight, Lord, for the express purpose of remembering what you did. Lord, we can only come together tonight because we are tied together in the bond that was created by the shed blood of Jesus Christ in an empty tomb. And Lord, as we remember, Lord, would you help us to do it right? God, help us to be pleasing in your sight. God, help us to honor you. Lord, my prayer tonight is that you would be glorified, that, Lord, we would be obedient in this matter of remembering as you've commanded us to do. Lord, bless us and help us. In your precious name we pray. Amen. As we look here in 1 Corinthians, we see a reminder, a reminder of how we as believers might follow God's pattern. And by the way, it doesn't matter what we think or what we feel. It matters what God says. By the way, our traditions of men do not outweigh God's command. So we look to Scripture in all aspects of faith, and we see here in this passage, we see some things. We won't take time to look there, but in Matthew 26, we find that those that were gathered when the Lord instituted that supper were all followers of Jesus Christ. It was after Judas had left as he, uh, before he instituted the supper there. We see that they were followers of Christ. By the way, this letter written explaining how we ought to remember was not written to the public. It was not written to the nation of Israel. It was written to a local church, a body of believers, those who followed Christ, those who uh, had joined themselves together in that uh, ambition of following him and obeying him. And so we see tonight that it's right that we would gather as a church, not as a, a great public gathering, but rather our church family here as we gather to remember. Verse 26, the Bible tells us there in our text, As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. You'll find no calendar in this passage that says there's a certain time or this, this is when we should remember. The Bible just says when you do, whenever you do, you remember. As a church, we try to set aside a few times throughout the year to take a special, a special focus to remember. Now, we could do it every Sunday. We could do it uh, every other week. We could do it every first of the month. There, there's no set schedule in the Bible, but when we do, it should be, I believe, a very special thing, a very focused thing as we seek to remember. And tonight we, we hope to do that. We, that is our goal. 
And there's a reason. We see in verses 24 through 26 the reason why we, as followers of Christ, we who, as a local body of believers, why, why would we partake? And the Bible is very plain. Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Bro broken means given. Uh, sacrificially. Uh, broken and sacrificed on Calvary. This do in remembrance of me. I'm sure that many of you at some point over the next few days will probably pause and probably think of a loved one that you wish you could spend this Christmas with but they've passed on and you'll remember something about them. Maybe you'll do something the way they did it. Maybe you'll carry on a tradition that they started because you're trying to remember them. And that's a wonderful thing. I'm, I'm glad we can do that. I'm glad we can have those connections. Even as painful sometimes as that separation is, it is a beautiful thing for us to remember. The Lord knew that when he was gone, not gone, but in heaven, as we were waiting for him to return, that we would have an opportunity to remember him. The Bible says, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye why? In remembrance. In remembrance of me. The Bible also tells us, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye to show the Lord's death till he come. To show the Lord's death. That reminder. I wear a wedding band on my left hand. It's, uh, I guess I can almost get it off. I wear this ring because I want other people to know that I'm married. I wear it as a visible sign of my commitment to my wife. It reminds me as I see it. It reminds those that I come in contact with. Why do we partake as a reminder? To show his death, to be reminded of that. Every time we observe the Lord's Supper together and partake of the bread, the unleavened bread, the juice, the unfermented fruit of the vine, we are preaching a message. We are proclaiming Jesus died for all. We're proclaiming that wonderful song that we sing, Jesus saves, Jesus saves, by the blood of Christ. I want to pause just for a moment here to speak about just a couple of things quickly. In verse 27, verse 29, and verse 30 in our passage, we see that God gave to Paul to pen instructions to this church in Corinth that they were to be careful not to take the supper wrongly. Now, what happens if that's the case? The Bible speaks of us being guilty of the death of the Lord, so be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Uh, the Bible speaks there in verse 29, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation himself, not discerning the Lord's body. By the way, it doesn't mean damnation to hell or condemnation. Rather, it's to bring judgment upon ourselves down here. To take wrongly, the Bible even speaks of some pretty serious consequences. Say, preacher, how serious? How big of a deal is it? God says some people died. So there are some that sleep. It's not talking about having a nap here. It's talking about those that died because they dishonored the Lord. 
You understand tonight that this is not something to be taken lightly, not something to make a mockery of, not something to dishonor, but rather it is a very serious matter. So how do we take of it wrongly or unworthily? We do so by regarding sin in our heart of the same, with the same same attitude, oh, I want to honor the Lord. Refusing to be right. Kind of like a child who is rebellious and disobedient looking at the parent and say, hey, I love you. There's not much honesty, there's not much truth to that statement when there's no force. There's no force behind that of obedience. So tonight, before we partake and we will in just a few moments together. Before we remember the way the Lord commanded us to do so. The Bible says in verse 28 of our text. But let a man examine himself. It does not say let a church examine. It doesn't say let your spouse or a parent or a child. Or your friend. Or it says let a man examine himself. How do we do that? By searching our heart. By asking the Holy Spirit to convict us of that, that we need to make right with Him. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Understand tonight that my salvation is not based upon my standing in sin or my standing in righteousness. I have the righteousness of Christ. My salvation is based wholly on Christ. I can never lose that. I can never do anything to, uh, to cause that not to be. It is eternal. But my relationship with Christ, my walk with him down here, sometimes we get far away. And the Bible says, let a man examine himself. Tonight we're going to pause for just a, a few moments to take time for us to examine our own hearts. And as I read there a moment ago, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That confess means to uh, forsake. It's not, hey, Lord, I did that. I'm doing it again tomorrow. Rather, it's, Lord, I, I see what my sin has done to you. I know that it was that sin that caused you to go to Calvary. As we confess and forsake that sin, 1 Corinthians tells us if we would judge ourselves. If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, the Bible says we are chastened of the Lord. Chastened. By the way, that word chastened doesn't mean beaten. The word chastened means God tries to direct us in the right direction where we ought to go. So tonight, Christian, would you do me a favor and would you bow your heads with me? And as we do so together, would you take a few moments to ask the Lord to reveal anything in your life, in your heart, that is not right with Him? Maybe it's an action. Maybe it's a thought. Maybe it's a direction of life or an attitude or spirit. 
Maybe it's bitterness in your heart. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's malice towards a brother or a sister in Christ. Maybe it's a family problem that you need to deal with. Maybe it's some sin that you've been playing with and it's got a hold of you. But as we bow our heads together, would you ask the Lord to reveal anything that you need to deal with this evening? Dear Lord, I thank you for the privilege we have of coming to you in prayer. I love that wonderful promise in 1 John 1, 9. How good it is that we can come and confess and deal with the issues in our relationship and our walk with you. And Lord, as we prepare even now to partake of this supper, these elements of bread and juice, the picture so much more. May we honor you. May we remember you. May we proclaim your death. May we obey your plan for us. And may we thank you from a humble heart of appreciation. Lord, we love you tonight. God, help us to show it. Lord, you tell us if we love you to keep your commandments. Lord, would you help us to do so? Lord, I pray you'd be honored tonight, Lord, that we would truly focus upon what you've done. Bless us now. In your precious name we pray. Amen. As we look back in our text, it says in verse 23, For I have received of the Lord... That which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. In just a moment, we're going to ask a few men to come and help pass out that bread. Unleavened bread. Let unleavened, because leaven is a picture. A picture of sin. Our Lord was sinless. He was perfect. He was unblemished unmarked by sin, untainted by sin. That bread that was broken. Tonight we're going to pass it out. All it's going to be as we pass it out is bread and all it's going to be when you eat it is bread. That's all it's ever going to be, but it pictures so much more. It pictures that body of our Lord that was broken. That was shattered on Calvary. Every joint out of place his body brutalized by that cat of nine tails and that whip his beard plucked out a crown of thorns upon his head as it was beat in how horrible and terrible and tragic the death of our Lord 
tonight we're going to do as the Lord did that evening. The Bible says in verse 23, I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. Then the Lord Jesus, the same night when she was betrayed, took bread. And then notice verse 24, and when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. I'm going to ask Elizabeth and Rebecca to come and get prepared in just a moment while we pass out the elements of the bread. They're going to sing. Lord, just have a seat for just a moment. And I'm going to ask Brother Colton if you would come. I'm going to ask Brother Colton to come and lead us in a prayer of thanksgiving for that bread, that broken body that this bread pictures. And as he does so, would you as well thank the Lord. After he's prayed, he and I will take the bread and distribute it. We'll pass it out. We will not uh, be watching who takes. If you want to partake, take. If not, just pass the tray. And just hold the bread. And after everyone has it, I'll come back up and we'll all partake together. But uh, Brother Colton, if you would lead us in prayer. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you so much for the sacrifice that you made for us and how your body was uh, marred and torn beyond uh, comprehension. You, you did not even look like a man after you were beaten. Lord, we thank you for uh, dying on the cross for us and having your body broken that we might have life, that we could have a rela relationship again with you, Lord. And Lord, help us, Lord, to live lives that would honor you uh, help us to remember in every day uh, what you've done for us Lord thank you for coming and we pray this in Jesus name Amen
For I received the Lord that that which I delivered unto you, the Lord Jesus, the same night which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Of this do in remembrance of me. May we remember that body that was broken. We may partake of the bread tonight. Bible tells us in verse 25 after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped saying this cup is the new testament of my blood this do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me brother Joe can I ask you to come and lead us in prayer if you will for uh, thanksgiving for the blood of Christ and ladies if you'd come prepare for the Music, please. After Brother Joe leads us in prayer of thanksgiving for the blood of Christ, uh, we'll uh, pass out uh, the juice, we'll pass the trays. Uh, just as before, if you would hold the, hold the juice and wait, we'll partake together. And as you're waiting, be thinking of the wonderful blood of Christ shed for you. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, that uh, um, for uh, giving us your Son, Jesus Christ, to be uh, 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 to, to save us, Lord. Lord, thank you for the blood that you shed in Calvary. Lord, uh, that to wash away our sins, Lord. Lord, thank you. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Brother Joe, can you give me
The Bible tells us there, the same manner also he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, This cup is the new testament in my blood. This do you as often oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. This cup tonight is simply unfermented fruit of the vine, grape juice. No fermentation in it is fermentation, a picture of sin. Rather, the blood of Christ that was shed for you and shed for me on Calvary and the sins of all the world was sinless blood. The only sinless blood that has ever been shed for every man ever born, every woman ever born, is born with a sin nature. But Jesus shed his sinless blood, his perfect blood on Calvary for you and for me. And tonight, we, may we remember that shedding of blood, that great payment that covered the sin, made it possible for us to be washed white as snow. May we thank him. May we remember. You may partake of the cup. We look back in the Gospels, we find that after they partook of that supper, they sang a hymn. I'm not going to ask anybody to come to the pianos tonight, but would you stand with me? And would you sing with me that wonderful old song, Amazing Grace? Anytime I have to think of a song, the first song that always comes to my mind is that song. For it is the amazing grace of God that God would leave heaven. And he would come and shed his blood, allow his body to be broken and give for you and give for me a wonderful gift that we remember tonight. Would you sing with me a cappella, just the first and last verse tonight of Amazing Grace? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch. Like me, I once was lost, but now I am found, was blind, but now I see. Shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. God bless you and be dismissed. Happy, Merry Christmas tonight.